choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Welcome to Additive Stack, the podcast dedicated to enhancing your additive manufacturing journey. I am Fabian Adelfeld, a member of EOS's award-winning consulting, engineering, and education team called Additive Minds. And I'm your host. When John F. Kennedy spoke at Rice University to more than 30,000 Americans over 60 years ago in his We Choose the Moon speech, nobody was certain that the moon was actually a reachable goal. Today... The space industry could be the next trillion-dollar industry. And that's mainly due to the vast technological advancements that have been made in the past decade. That's exactly what we talked about in the past two episodes of our Additive Snack series on the AM space race. We heard from NASA as well as space company Launcher on the -the state-of-the-art advancements in the space industry and how additive manufacturing has shaped the way we enter space since Apollo 11. If you missed these two episodes, we highly recommend you start with these. In today's episode, we're joined by Zach Cordero. Zach is a professor at the MIT, where he leads the MIT Aerospace Materials and Structures Laboratory, and also recently started a class for aeronautics engineers on additive manufacturing. Zach's research spans from investigating new materials specifically designed for additive to post-processing technologies that have the true potential to change material properties that are required for the most demanding applications in space as well as aviation. Zach, welcome to Additive Snack. Thank you. Thank you, Fabian. So, Zach, I'm curious. We just spent the last three hours at the first class that you're teaching here at the MIT around additive manufacturing in the space of, uh, of aviation and aerospace. How did you get to the point to initiate that class and run it for those students? Yeah. So uh, this class, it's, it's, a, it's a week-long crash course in metal additive manufacturing. And um, it's part manufacturing, part design. So over the, over the course of the week, students, they design print, and then test an impeller in a circulation pump. And the motivation for the course was this workshop that I ran last spring for, um, it's actually for launch companies. It was focused on materials challenges and reusable rocket engines. Okay. And there was like this chorus of demand from the attendees, like Blue Origin, SpaceX, and other companies for workforce development and highly trained engineers who are familiar with turbo machinery, material selection, additive manufacturing, and we felt that like this course that we developed could fill this need that we heard from these companies. Yeah, awesome. I mean, if we look in the industry, workforce development is a huge need, right? In manufacturing alone, we have, I think, half a million open jobs currently in manufacturing. And that's expected to grow to above a million. So folks like you who develop the, the workforce of the future, the engineers of the future, Highly critical of the to the growth of, of not other manufacturing alone, but the whole the whole manufacturing uh, industry. And I think you also have those companies as guest speakers in your class, right? Yeah. So there are three guest presentations from different companies. I mean, you of course you gave gave this presentation this morning. Yeah. Discussing you know EOS and uh, laser powder bed fusion. 
the other presenters. So Wednesday, we're going to hear from Relativity about large format additive. Awesome. Thursday, we hear from Carpenter about materials for additive. Mm-hmm. And then Friday, we're going to hear from uh, David Gregory from New Frontier Aerospace about his experience with additive basically over the past 10 years from Lorigen to Ursa Major to his new company. Yeah, very incredible format that you're putting together. And you've been in the space of additive manufacturing uh, for a while now. You're a material scientist by education. And you're now setting up this program, which is really mainly targeting space, mm. which is also what we're talking about mm. in this in this mini series. Why is additive manufacturing such a good technology for the space industry? Yeah, there's several reasons for this. One thing related to the class, the, the students, some might go off into space because they're like, you know, rocket geeks, but some are aviation nerds. And I think that the students will will take additive. I mean, they're learning about additive in the context of space, but they'll, they'll, they'll take additive when they go off into the workforce and to new areas in aviation, electric, electrification, these, mm-hmm. these different applications. So it's not just, you know, space, you know, cadets in this class. Sure. My, my research in particular, and then uh, is, is mainly focused on additive for space. And, and there's this huge demand from these space companies uh, for additive. Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 motive, the reason is there's like a perfect overlap between capabilities of additive and like the demands and needs of, in particular, like launch companies and, and companies that make spacecraft. Mm-hmm. So like the, the cadence with which they make these machines aligns perfectly with like the uh, production volumes and um, build rates and of additive manufacturing. There, the, the materials actually align very well with the materials required for uh, propulsion devices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, with, with, with space, you make these like high performance components, low volume production runs. And like, that's exactly what you look for with additive. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and there's, it's like a perfect alignment. So like a symbiotic relationship between additive and these like new space companies. Yeah, beautifully put symbiotic uh, relationship. And it kind of aligns with what I, I typically try to draw on, a, on the board. I think I did it for your students this morning as well as the, uh, you have the performance on one axis and you have the the supply chain economic impact on the other. And truly, as you said, space fulfills both by using the, the agility of additive manufacturing and the development speed, but also delivering the, the high performance impact that it can bring to, to the industry as a whole. And so we, we, we talked before, and I really liked how you also tried to distinguish between three main impact factors that you also just mentioned that make additive so perfect for the space industry. And that is materials, that is design, and there's actually also a post-processing component to it as well that we'll touch touch on, on later. Tell me a bit more about the material match for additive and space, but also what you're working on in the space of materials. Mm. So if you look at propulsion devices, there's a thrust chamber, for example, comprises a copper liner, and then typically a nickel-based superalloy like jacket. And with today's additive capabilities, you know, copper is relatively straightforward to print. And in fact, companies have like evolved to, to, to print copper components explicitly because of the demand from these launch companies. Mm-hmm. And so like the material suite offered through, offered through additive aligns very well with the needs of today's propulsion devices. So like the gas generator engines that SpaceX uses for their Falcon 9 and Mm -hmm. like what most companies, uh, like small launch companies are are currently developing. Where there's maybe an issue and a mismatch Mm -hmm. is in 
and, and a lack of current uh, materials options is in these next generation propulsion devices like SpaceX's Raptor and Blue Origin's BE-4. Okay. And those those propulsion devices, they operate with new um, combustion cycles. So SpaceX's Raptor is full flow stage combustion. Blue Origin's BE-4 is Oxford stage combustion. And in particular, there's like these incredible materials challenges in the Oxford turbo pump in these devices where the oxygen pressures and the temperatures in the, in, the, in the turbine inlet of the turbine pump are so high that basically every every metal, um, if there's some kind of a frictional heating event or a particle impact some from fog, mm-hmm. every metal under those conditions will like burn. Mm-hmm. And there's a need for new, preferably additively manufacturable materials yeah. that you could use and implement in this application that are printable, they have good mechanical properties, and they, they just don't ignite, they don't burn. Mm-hmm. And that specific topic of bespoke materials developed for additive, developed for space, that, that occupies like most of my thinking as a researcher. Yeah. Developing like bespoke materials, like the single crystals, you know, that people develop for um, aero engines. Like I'm doing that, but for next generation reusable like, launch vehicles and propulsion devices. Yeah. I mean, the implications and impacts of that, of that are huge. We additive started out by really using any conventional material and trying to make it printable in any way or another, right? As we mm-hmm. also said earlier, uh, very early on, we added some bronze as a binding material because that was the only material we could melt with a with a CO2 laser. Then we moved into standard materials of conventional manufacturing like uh, Inconel 718 or 625 or Ti-64. And now the work that you're doing is not only developing materials that are specifically developed for additive but specifically developed for additive for space. Yeah. So can you, well, I know you, you're you even working on uh, on a certain material and there, the IP is not fully buttoned up yet, but yeah. can you give us a small sneak peek into right. what you're well, working so, on? So first about like developing new materials, there's only like two opportunities to develop a new material that ends up like making money for the inventor. Mm-hmm. Um, one opportunity is when you have a new process. And to some extent, additive represents a new process where incumbent materials aren't necessarily optimized. Mm-hmm. Even then, like if you speak with most manufacturers today, they don't want you to print new materials. They want like a better Inconel 718. Yeah, exactly. If, and like they they don't need like bespoke alloy, blah, blah, blah. They want 718. So um, the other opportunity to develop new materials is when there's a new application where um, incumbents aren't optimized or, um, you know, or don't, don't, they, they do not close the design envelope and like you, you fundamentally need new materials mm-hmm. and this like turbo pump application, it actually fits both of those criteria. So people are trying to print these turbo pumps and various aspects of them. And, um, it is like a fundamentally new kind of operating condition where conventional materials are. Like they just don't suffice, mm-hmm. and there is an opportunity to make, you know, a new material that actually people buy, <laughs> which is exciting to me as mm-hmm. a as a as a researcher who cares about the impact of his work. Mm-hmm. The specific material that we have developed over the past three years is it has its origins. I'll, I'll throw a hint out there for like that SpaceX or Blue Origin listeners who might be you know, yeah. paying attention, which is. Like the specific alloy we've developed, it's a it is a variant, and you know it's critical. You have to tweak the chemistry here to get it right. It's a variant 
of a material that was actually identified as being very promising for these conditions, basically four decades ago by NASA, but was forgotten because you couldn't process it through conventional means. Hmm. And that material was just like kind of waiting for like the demands of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm dusting it off, modifying it to make it useful. And hopefully people buy it and I, I make money. <laughs> yeah. The additive manufacturing Easter egg hunt is kicked off here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. You have to know your history. Like you really like have to understand like the deep kind of history. You have to know like the deep technical history. And, you know, there are a lot of really, really good old NASA technical reports, which like people dig up and like post and everything and like read those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had uh, Paul Gradle on the show, so maybe we, have, we should get him back and uh, and give us a bit of a history lesson. That'd be, pa that'd pa be interesting. Paul, I, I, I dogs don't know. Paul has like bookshelves full of these old things and like hasn't dedicated a memory, and uh, he's like the best. So I'm sure he knows these things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we now talked about materials, and you know, if you go to a lot of additive manufacturing conferences especially a few years ago, even more than today, everybody talks about design for additive manufacturing. Mm. But truly, a very low amount of people truly design for additive manufacturing, everybody, even though everybody talks about it. And um, typically, or generally, your opinion also is that the space industry is not getting the full potential out of the technology due to design. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So, I yeah, I think... Most of the pe people in space who are printing components today are basically like printing um, conventional geometries and not taking full advantage of the, um, the design freedom enabled through additive. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll like emphasize, so the, the speaker that we have on Friday in this class, this guy, David Gregory, I think he is a genius of design for additive and comes up with incredibly clever solutions. Um, that uh, that I think will become industry standard. Um, but at present, like not everyone is David Gregory, so they're they're doing stuff, but they could they could learn from him. What I guess one example where he developed something that is kind of I guess percolated through the community now is uh, injectors. Like he's designed this like eggshell or egg carton injector design, which I now I think most companies use now and which is um, amenable um, to to 3D printing. It's what enables people to like. Um, to, to, to print injector, injector plates. Mm -hmm. um, but in an area where people like aren't maybe um, using additive to full effect is actually in these, these copper, um, copper liners and thrust chambers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, currently people, I mean, even just like normal thrust chambers, I mean, I've seen companies just print uh, Inconel 718 thrust chambers, but currently people, they, they just, they print channels. They print channels that run along the axis of the uh, thrust chamber. And they print channels because, you know, there's legacy in using channel-cooled combustion chambers. Mm -hmm. uh, people have been making these things with channels for 60 years. And so basically what they did was they took a 60-year-old design, they optimized maybe slightly, for the materials enabled through additive, but they're using the exact same design of, from 60 years ago and then just printing it. Yeah. And uh, like that is not using additive to full effect. Um, so, you know, people should be considering alternative architectures uniquely enabled through additive. They should be considering not just channels, but like, you know, pin fin architectures, mm -hmm. which could extend the lifing of these things. And um, 
And actually, what limits the life of a reusable rocket engine is two of the two things. One is the uh, it's a turbo pump, mm-hmm. um, and the other is the thrust chamber. It just fails through strain ratcheting and creep. They ultimately have lifing on the scale of like tens to maybe a hundred hot fires before they have to be just replaced. Okay. And um, and like additive new designs, new cooling architectures, like I think it could enable hundreds of like uh, thrust chambers that last hundreds of hot fires before overhaul. And that's, that's what people can achieve like revolutionary lifing in mm-hmm. terms of um, mm-hmm. like, like air, rocket engines with the same kind of duty cycle and lifing as an aero engine taking full advantage of, of additive. Yeah. And you know, I would say that that challenge is not, not unique to space. That mm-hmm. challenge is unique to, to every industry that is adopting additive manufacturing because you have these legacy applications that have been designed over generations for conventional manufacturing. And it's just, that's what it looks like. And that's, and that's, and that's the, the function and the unique, the unique components of, of such an, of such an application. I think, I think it can go too far. I think it can go too far as well. So I think it can go too far where people just like make totally non-functional, but beautiful looking designs that are like enabled by additive, but like, why would you print that? Why would you use it ever? Um, and, uh, and like it, it's like a mix where you have to have solid engineering fundamentals, like really understand the application, know heat transfer, know the detailed physics of the application, know how to design for that, and then use the full kind of capability of additive. And people, you know, there's disrupt this, disrupt that, like the startup culture, disrupt everything. And like some things, they shouldn't be disrupted. Like they're actually like highly optimized designs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are those instances where you can kind of take a new look at something and maybe engineer new performance enabled through additive true yeah and maybe we're also all too limited in, in the way of our thinking and uh, there is designs out there that no human has has even thought of right where uh you know we know there's there's some some companies pushing and adding the component of you now buzzword artificial intelligence into design processes uh where you're you're coding apart and st- instead of uh, actually designing it by hand. Um, there's a lot of work still to be done, I believe, uh, because most of these are not simulation-based designs. You add uh, process parameters, and then you add physics and certain physics models uh, into that uh, design, and it spits out a cool design that looks like an alien spaceship. Yeah. But it might just be taken a bit too far. But I do wonder, what's your opinion? Is uh, is the truth in the middle? Um, all right, so the truth is in where you can make money. And, uh, and so, um, like, you know, ultimately the high value parts are parts that you can sell like to people, um, or, you know, that are, that people's lives depend on. And, uh, and, um, you know, if you're going to sell a part, often it has to meet some kind of standard. So, um, these companies, they should be considering ASME standards. And when there's an ASME standard on an artificially intelligence designed like component, um, then like you can make money on it. But until then, um, it's really an academic endeavor. I think it's really cool from an academic perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think there probably is like basically that that activity, it mainly should be academics pursuing it, I think. Uh, If your intent is to make money through that, Good luck. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and maybe you know, maybe it starts with uh, some non-critical industries. Yeah, you know, that's, have that's some true. artificially designed shoes, and then you move. That, uh, that is cool. You move one step closer and uh, into into maturity. Yeah, so consumer, <clears throat> I guess, consumer products. Yeah, there might be demand for that because of the aesthetic. Yeah, but for exactly. critically loaded components, people design to standards, and yeah. how do you design one of these organic alien-looking things to a standard? I have no clue. Um, it's it's a research question. Yeah, it's a research question, and then at some point it becomes a standard question again. Yeah, right? just like how do we certify an additively manufactured components yeah. uh, for a medical application or for a space application where we've never done that before. Yeah. So <clears throat> we talked about material. We talked about design. Now the part that most people forget, which is post processing. Yeah. Right. We we talk about design for additive manufacturing, but truly we mean design for additive manufacturing plus, plus post-processing, but there's more implications mm. than just uh, removing support structures in the space of uh, uh, post-processing. What, what is your take on that? So, so this relates back to like the question of additive plus space and like that like beautiful marriage. Yeah. And, um, and I guess space is like, the, is an, another reason why additive is perfect for space is that like with launch in particular, if you're not, if you're not doing a reusable vehicle, Basically, the part needs to last like six minutes. Mm -hmm. And so provided it works for six minutes, like you're good. So really, you're not pushing on those properties that are fundamentally limited um, with additive components. So like creep and fatigue, creep being, you know, deformation under sustained loaded high temperature, fatigue being like crack uh, growth under cyclic loading. Um, and so like in order for additive to enter... Um, into high value markets, especially like laser powder bed fusion components, in order for, for, for those materials to enter into super high value markets, like the turbine blades and the turbine veins and the compression seals that like GE makes all their money on, mm -hmm. there, there needs to be like a, a fundamental step change in the properties of these components. And I, I don't think you'll get there by modifying the printing. I think you get there by modifying the post-processing. Mm -hmm. So you adjust how you heat it, you tailor how you heat it, like you um, you, you really dial things in so you can transform this part, which has beautiful form, but maybe not so good properties, mm -hmm. into a part with like really you know useful performance and form, but also the critical properties that you need to operate 10,000 hours at 1200C for forever, which yeah. is like an airfoil. Yeah, you're adding a very critical process development to the whole process chain, which is which is post-processing. Yeah. And I mean, hipping alone already, I think, opened up a, a very interesting application space or new application spaces uh, yeah. for, for additive by yeah, improving improving density, but also ensuring a reproducible density in, in additive components. But uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't be an MIT professor if you uh, wouldn't also start a company. So... Yeah, is there is there anything you can uh, uh, you can elaborate on the future of post processing yeah. in the in the in the field of uh, aerospace? Yeah, so you know I mentioned fatigue and creep. Fatigue, if you're looking at it like an aero engine, fatigue limits the life of compressor components, and you can improve fatigue properties through things like hipping and through surface finishing to eliminate maybe surface defects and potential fatigue initiation sites. Creep, though, that's a problem that um, people haven't figured out, for especially for LPVF components. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, improving creep properties 
that is essential. If, for example, you want to print a turbine blade or something in the hot section of a gas turbine, where basically all the money is made. And, um, and so uh, I had a paper come out recently, which describes this heat treatment we developed, which transforms the grain structure of additively manufactured materials from this fine as printed grain, uh, grain size to a coarse columnar one. And um, we are now commercializing that process um, and working with uh, MROs and OEMs to implement this process so people can actually start printing hot section components for uh, for uh, gas turbine applications. And um, yeah, I mean, we're trying to solve kind of that, that critical challenge, mm-hmm. which is uh, the poor creep properties of of AM, of AM, especially LPBF materials. Ultimately, the reason why LPBF materials have horrible creep resistance is because the creep rate, which is the rate at which the material deforms, mm-hmm. scales like one over grain size um, cubed. And so, uh, if you have really fine grain size, you have a really fast creep rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, like what we showed is, so as printed materials, they have a grain size of 20 microns. You recrystallize it through a conventional hip or stress relief annealing cycle grows to like hundred microns. Um, we've shown we can increase the grain size to the scale of centimeters or potentially even longer. So that's like two orders of magnitude cubed. So you mm-hmm. can slow the creep rate potentially by a million. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's a million times longer life. <laughs> so That's incredible. Yeah. So that's, um, you know, when people talk about like startups and like it's 10x better, we can say like, it's a million, a million times better. Right? <laughs> yeah, people are excited yeah. about that. Yeah, that's true disruption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, I mean, if someone had told me that I would be starting a heat treatment company when I was in high school, I like would have laughed. I wouldn't have believed them. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what a heat treatment company is and, yeah. or, or like at that point, but you just follow kind of where the interesting problems and challenges are and where the demand is. And I think this company, it, it solves an important technical problem. There's like awesome kind of engine that goes into it. And uh, we hope to have a real impact enabling, you know, next generation, more energy efficient, higher performing turbo machinery. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And um, yeah, truly, truly a challenge that the industry is, 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 is facing on a daily basis, right? From especially organizations that are trying to expand the, the application space and trying to push additive further and further into, into high performance and long lasting applications. Uh, will there ever be a single crystal uh, application in additive? Uh, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, and, uh, and um, I really, really hope we solve this because then um, I can buy an island in the Caribbean and like, you know, kick back and enjoy daiquiris the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be very boring and we would lose a, a bright mind. Well, I'll set up a service the... bureau down there or something. And, like, I'll print parts all day, but at least I'll be near the beach or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll come visit you. Um, all right, man. Well, Thanks again for for being on Additive Snack. It was a delight to have you on the show. Also, thank you for inviting me to speak uh, at your class. It was really awesome to see all those bright minds thinking about additive manufacturing and trying to dive deep into the process. So, yeah, I want to thank you again. And um, yeah, I hope. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you, like, sincerest thanks for coming to speak this morning because the students, like, loved it. So, thank you. 
even though additive manufacturing already today lends itself perfectly to space applications. The rapid advancements in materials, post-processing, and the capabilities of engineers working on them will continuously accelerate the development of more efficient engines, reusable components, and completely new designs. Zach, thank you for joining us on Additive Snack. Next week, we'll launch our final episode of the space series with Tim Simpson a professor of engineering design and manufacturing at Penn State University. Tim runs one of the best additive programs in the US, and he also consults NASA Langley Research Center on system design and additive manufacturing. Subscribe to Additive Snack on your favorite podcast app to not miss that episode. Until next time, I'm Fabian Adlerfeld, and you've been listening to Additive Snack.